Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. But the mission of our church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We can't forget that. We can't forget that. No, no matter what is going on in the world right now, whatever may be shaking or, 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 or causing things to be kind of in disunity, we must remember our first and primary and most important task is that we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The second building block that we have is our, our vision. This is the, how we do ministry. And our vision, as it's written, says, Be gods, you belong here, worshiping together, serving with heart, and growing in faith. Those are, those are things that we have come up with as a, a congregation, looking at scripture, looking at the traditions of the church, and, and we know that we are about letting people know that they belong here. The final building block that we have had come together is something that we've done here recently with the discernment team, and I'm so thankful for those who were a part of this team to, to really take a look and see what the values that we hold as a church. And we've been talking about that over the past few weeks, talking about the values of, of who we are as Worth City First United Methodist Church. And if you remember, we started out making sure that we knew that, that Christ was the foundation. Christ is what we are built upon, and, and Christ is who we do our work in and through. And we do that by sharing God's love, by, by being a unified church. And today we are talking about acceptance. Growing up, I uh, have shared before in the sermon that I uh, basically answered my call to be a follower of Jesus Christ when I was in junior high with a group, music group called DeGarmo and Key. They were one of the original Jesus rock groups that they started way back in the 1970s, but this is the late 80s whenever I finally got a hold of them and started to listen to them. And then in 1989, they came out with an album called The Pledge. And this, this album, it, it, for me, it was, it was one of those awesome, mind-blowing albums. About right there, 88 through 91, there was like several good contemporary Christian albums. And I think, in my opinion, I think they still kind of hold up musically today. I, I could be wrong about that because I'm 50 now, and I know how music kind of changes and stuff. But I think it's really, really good stuff. But, but they had one really cool song on those albums called Boycott Hell. And, and boy, they had, it was like Eddie DeGarmo, he had this long flowing hair. He played like one of those uh, key guitar things and, you know, and just, just, just the pounding rock rhythm and everything. Love that song. But there's another song on that album that, that touched me in a different way. And that album was, that, that song was called I'm Accepted. And that song 
just to give you kind of a little bit of time, I meant to bring my guitar, but I didn't, but just to give you a little bit of a sample of that. The first chorus, and the first verse in the chorus goes like this. I may not be rich. I don't wear fashion clothes. I don't live in a mansion. I don't have much that shows. Never won a contest in popularity. I don't have much to offer, but Jesus still loves me. I'm accepted, accepted, I'm accepted by the one who matters most. I'm accepted, accepted, I'm accepted by the one who matters most. And the song continues, and it's just a great anthem to realize. And I think sometimes we try to find other ways that we can be accepted. We want to be accepted by society. We want to be accepted by, by our peers. I know in my high school years, I, I tried so many different ways to be accepted that when I found out that I was trying to be accepted in so many different ways, I realized that I wasn't really accepted. I was just there. And the one thing that I knew that I was missing was that I was looking for acceptance in the wrong place and not looking for acceptance through the one who loves me and cares for me. So as we were moving through this discernment or this, this uh, little task force, there was one verse that was mentioned twice by two different people in the task force. And that verse is part of our scripture for today. It's uh, Galatians 3, verse 28. But, but I realize that it doesn't really fully give us a, a good picture of what it means to be accepted especially as one of the persons in our task force that came up with this statement said that God widens his scope because he wants a relationship with all humanity. And I thought that was a very beautiful statement, that, that, that God is accepting of all of us. God wants us to be in relationship with him, and, and he has taken incredible steps in order for us to be in relationship with God. So in order to fully get a, a good picture of what Galatians 3.28 means, I, I backed it up a couple of uh, uh, passages, uh, verses, and we'll have those on the screen for you to follow. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he's writing to us as he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are one 
in Christ Jesus. I can't think of a better verse that talks about what being acceptance is all about. It's being accepted because we are all made in the image of God, and it is through our baptism that we are now children of God. And that is a gift that God has given each and every one of us, for all of those who, who call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to know that, that we are accepted. Not because of, of what we do, not because of what we, what we may do or, or what we have done in the past, but it's because of what Christ has done. That is what makes us accepted. And I think in order to get a better picture of what it means to be accepted, we have to take a look at the ministry of Jesus to understand how we can be accepted, just like those he ministered to were accepted. First and foremost, we have to realize that, that when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call the best of the best. He called those who were already cast aside. He called those who were, were not good enough to, to move up into the ranks of society, but those who have gone back to their homes to, to, to be, uh, be working with their families, to do the family trade. That's why we know that, that four of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. Peter, James, Andrew, and John. Peter, yeah, Peter, James, Andrew, and John. Those were the four fishermen that Jesus went out onto the shores and said, hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now, another interesting thing about these four people, three of them were a part of Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. In the very significant moments of Jesus' ministry where, where he has gone off aside, he brings those three with him. We see them on top of the mountain of transfiguration as Jesus begins to glow and there is Moses and Elijah beside him. He, he takes them alongside when he brings the entire group of disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes off a little bit farther in the distance and he takes Peter, James, and John with him to pray. You, you just don't take, you just take just individuals to do that, but Jesus did. Jesus took people that, that he knew weren't the ones accepted by the major crowd, but, but he took those because he accepted them, and he loved them, and he wanted them to be a part of his ministry. As we move into further thinking about the disciples, there's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, and if you read scripture and you've seen passages, you know that tax collectors were even lower than, than the common thief because they did steal from the, the people. They, they, they were trying to line their pockets as they collected taxes for the government. So to have Matthew there show that Jesus knew that Matthew wasn't accepted by the crowd, but he was accepted by Jesus. There was another disciple by the name of James who was a zealot. And, and zealot, that's one of those words that we don't really fully understand what that means. But, but what a zealot is, 
he was engaged in politics and he was wanting to be a part of anarchy to throw overthrow the Roman government. Anything and everything he did was about taking, getting rid of the political forces back then. And so the zealot maybe saw a different motive behind following Jesus, saying, this is the guy that's going to do it. But Jesus kind of flipped that and showed James, no, we're not here to be served. We're not here to overtake what is around us, but we're here to do the will of the Father and, and, and submit to the authority around us, but also know that our kingdom isn't here on earth, but our kingdom is of heaven. And God's kingdom always is greater than the kingdoms of the earth. And then the last disciple that we know fully what his position was or what he, what he did was Judas. And Judas was a thief. Time and time again, we see how he put his hand inside of the collection for the disciples and, and how he robbed others. And he was more concerned about how he can make himself get ahead financially. And the fact of the matter is, friends, Jesus knew exactly who Judas was. Jesus knew exactly who all of the disciples were, but he took these 12 to start the building blocks, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So, so with Jesus taking these, these vagabonds or, or these offcasts to be a part of a disciple group, he then went on to minister to the, to the least desirables. We hear the Pharisees and the Sadducees complain that Jesus isn't doing ministry the way that they would do ministry. Jesus wasn't just hanging around the temple talking in the courts and all of that stuff. He, he was out and about, and he was talking to people who were not of, of good repute. In, act, in, in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, we hear that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners. And eats with him. Eats with them. And I'm kind of glad he met with sinners and ate with them because that gives me the idea that Jesus would meet with me and break bread with me and share with me. We see other pictures of Jesus being welcoming to those who were outcast as he goes through the area of Samaria. Samaria was this place that was part of the northern territory of the, of the kingdom of Israel, but at one time the Assyrians came in and took over that entire land. And the Assyrians, they would intermarry with the Samaritans, and so all the people in Samaria were considered half-breeds. So, th so they weren't fully Assyrian, and they weren't fully uh, Jewish, so they were, just didn't count. They, they, they were those other people that, that we didn't want anything to do with. People in Israel would do all that they could to make sure that if they were coming from the north all the way to Jerusalem, they would go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to deal with those people. But Jesus knew how much God even loved those people. And he would purposely go through Samaria to, to share his love 
and grace. He would even use Samaritans to be a part of his teachings. One of his most famous teachings is the teaching of the Good Samaritan that at that time would have blown the people's mind that, that God would talk about a Samaritan being the one who would help a wounded traveler along the way while everybody else passed on the other side. So as we move into John chapter 4, Jesus is moving through Samaria and he comes across a well, a well that was dug by the ancestor Jacob. And as he's sitting there, a woman comes up to the well in the middle of the day, and he starts to talk to her and, and ask for water. And she said, you don't want water from me. I, I, I am a horrible person. And Jesus not only affirms her, but says that I have come to give you water that will never run dry. And, and she, he knows exactly who she is and, and her history, and she invi he invites her to follow him. See, all of this was about Jesus bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth, allowing people to repent and turn and, and change their lives. But he didn't come to, to say, this is what you must do. He just gave them an invitation to follow, to hear, to understand. But then after Jesus died and was rose again, before his ascension, he gave another task. And that task was to tell the disciples to go into the world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But if you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Now again, we hear this passage and we understand it as Jesus calling us to go out into the world. But at this time, Jesus was telling his disciples really impossible things in their minds. In Jerusalem, that was easy. These are the people they hung out with. And this is where they were. Of course, we'll be glad to tell people around here about Jesus. But when we talk about going to Judea, that, that was further, furthering the scope around to the different communities. I said, well, I guess we could see that. But then Jesus reminds them that they must go into Samaria, the place that they didn't like, the people they didn't like, the people they didn't care for. We need to tell them the good news too? Jesus would say, yes, especially them. And then we hear, to the ends of the earth. And being here in Royce City, Texas, I am thankful that Jesus told his disciples to go to the ends of the earth because I would not know about Jesus if he didn't make that connection. So how can we be like Jesus and accept others? I think the first way that we do this is that we realize that we are accepted. Sometimes we can have a much lower view of ourselves than we have of other people. Now, we do know that we should think of others, you know, of love others as we love ourselves. But if we don't love ourselves, then what does that say how we're going to love other people? But we have to remember that we have been accepted. That's the beauty of John 3.16. That passage that reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have eternal life. That passage reminds us that, that it is not God, that it is not we that do the work, but it is God who has already done that work in and through us. And because he died and he was buried and he rose again to sit, and then he is now sitting at God's right hand praying for each and every one of us, we are accepted so that we can live our lives as accepted people, reaching out in God's love for others. But the most important thing is that as we do that, we have to realize that we are no better than other people around us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now I know this can kind of rub contrary to the American way of life as we strap up our own bootstraps and we try to do what we can to push ourselves forward. But the reminder is that, that we are not our own. We are a connected body. That we are called to love our neighbors and we are to look not only to what is good for me, but we also must look at what is good for others. And the only way that I can see that we can do that with, with authority and with the truth and with compassion is that we must take time to be kind. I, I just can't believe looking at the world around us right now, how negative and hurtful we can be. And, and I see that mostly through online presence of stuff. It is so easy to be negative and hurtful to others when we are online, even to people that we don't even know who they are. Yesterday, my sports fandom took a big, giant blow when my Kansas State Wildcats lost to the Tulane Blue Wave. It hurt. It hurt big time. Because we should have beat them. I, I won't go on, but anyway, I say that to make this point. I, I went online to look at some of the message boards and uh, posts that were on, on Facebook and everything. And I saw some of the most hateful things to the Kansas State players and Kansas State coaching staff that the week before when we killed Missouri... It was all positive, it was all wonderful, and it was like we were headed to the, you know, it just flipped like that. And we don't think about the consequences when we say things that hurt others because we just spew it out. But in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, we are reminded to let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. When I read that passage and I was looking through what was happening online, and I'm sure if your team lost, which I know not a lot, but anyhow, you, you, you've seen it happen. Just the, the meanness and the tearing down and everything online. You sit there going, 
there has to be a better way. And theologian and writer Dallas Willard, he would say it this way, Any, everything you can do with anger can be done better without it. Everything you can do with anger can be done better without it. And I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that, that when we allow anger to take over what we are and we fail to be kind to those that are created in God's image, it hurts not only our witness, but I think it also hurts our inner souls. It hurts who we are, and we are not fully able to live into the, the presence or in the life that God has given to us. So any chance that we have a chance to do something better, uh, do something without anger, we should do it because it will go so much better. There's a practice that I've started to do here recently, mainly because of Dallas Willard. It's the practice of allowing others to have the last word. And that has given me so much peace because whenever I have to have the last word, I'm the one who has to be right and you are the one who has to be wrong. When I have to have the last word, I'm, I'm not listening to what you're saying to understand what you're saying. I'm listening to see how it is that I can respond. A few weeks ago, I had a phone conversation with a, a leader within the denomination in our, in our, in our annual conference, and, and we were talking about just stuff that was going on in the overall church and everything, and, and I, I mentioned this practice that I was doing to make sure that I, I would practice the ability to not have the last word. And the conversation just kept going on and on and on and, and started to get a little bit more negative, a little bit more negative. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah. And I was listening to see the pain in their voice, the worry in their voice. And I just started to pray for them. I started to wish them well. A little bit later, I had another friend that I was on a phone call with, and, and he just started to go off, and I shared this little clip about practicing not having the last word. And then once again, he just lashed out again. And like, uh-huh, okay. Because, my friends, we don't have to have the last word because I know who has the last word. And that's God. And I know that through our acts of trying to love and, and be compassionate and sharing, we can allow them to see Christ in us. Finally, there's a saying that I remember my grandpa, and I've, I've seen this all over the place. My grandpa would share with me, um, he was a big fisherman, and he would take us to uh, these little ponds up in Kansas, and, and he would take my brother and I fishing. And I was about four, five, six years old when he would do this. It was a very impatient kid standing beside him, and he would kind of disappear every once in a while so he could fish in peace and let me and my brother be very loud where we were. And there was one time I remember catching a fish, and it was just a little carp fish, and was reeling it in, and I was like, Grandpa, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to touch this. My grandpa said, that's fine. You don't have to touch it. You catch it, and I'll clean it. You catch it, 
and I'll be the one that will clean it. I think God says that to all the, us to all the time. With us being accepting of others, we're not there to fix what's going on in their lives. We are there to share God's love with them in a tangible way and, and bringing them in so then God can be the one who can clean them. Just because we may not fully agree with how some people live their lives or the way some people act in their lives doesn't mean we can't accept them. It doesn't mean that we can't love them or allow God's grace to move in their lives. As, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that, the, so that God will be given glory. My friends, whenever I read that verse, I think about my own life. And I know that there are more times that I've messed up than I can even count. There is more time that I have been outside of God's will, but guess what? God still accepts me. God still loves me. God still cares for me, and because God loves and cares for me, I will share that love with others. Let us pray. Oh God, it has been a blessing to take a look at what it is that we value as a church, who we are and whose we are, how you continue to build in us, to grow us, to mold us, and to move us. So we pray that as we take these next steps, as we move forward as your church, you help us to keep you as our foundation, to share your love in one unified body, accepting those who need the love and grace of Jesus Christ in their lives because we need the love and grace of Jesus Christ in our life. And so, God, we lift this prayer up to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.